1: Just go to ramp.com slash easy, ramp.com slash easy, ramp.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
2: Hey, this is Rob. And when I'm not busy regulating the transmission rates of our public utilities, I'm stacking Benjamins.
1: Yeah. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're taking stock. How do we invest in stocks? What should we focus on most? Here to help us answer these and other questions, like for me, it's beef stock or chicken stock? Because I've seen Joe's moms use both, sometimes together. Tell you what, that's not the answer, lady. So to help us answer those questions, we welcome the host of the Money Life with Chuck Jaffe podcast, Chuck Jaffe. Plus, in headlines, we'll talk about a lawsuit against a brokerage firm that might cost it billions with a capital B. And we'll discuss about one guy's adventure who's living without cash. Johnny Cash? How could you do that? You can't live without Johnny Cash. That'd be worse than walking through a burning ring of fire. We'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Melissa, who wonders about diversification. Can we give her some general advice about how to think about putting together a good mix of investments. We'll also answer a letter from a lucky listener, and we're going to wash it all down with my incredible trivia. And now, two guys who are a mix that's way more salty than sweet, Joe and I
0: I don't know. I'm pretty sweet. You're You're the salty one. One of us is. Hey everybody! Welcome to Monday on the Stacky Benjamin Show. I am Joe Salcihi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. Just so you know, which voice is which across the good old card table here again to kick off another week. It is my good friend OG,
2: the other guy at not the fake OG.
0: You're just on Twitter pumping that Twitter. Feed. Well, you
2: say it every time. I got to. I mean, it's part of your. Hey, I'm I'm Joe, Average Joe Money on Twitter. I, I don't I don't know how to. I don't know how to say that.
0: I'm OG, not the fake OG on Twitter. Not the fake, not the real, not the fake OG. I'm not the fake one. Not the fake OG. Yeah. Chuck Jaffe. I love Chuck Jaffe's writing. And uh, of course, the Chuck Jaffe radio show recently turned into a podcast after that whole debacle with the Boston uh, radio station. Like the biggest business station in the nation goes belly up. Chuck now has turned his very successful radio show into a podcast. And he talks to everybody, man. Um, Jack Bogle, all the good hedge fund managers, all the good mutual fund managers. Chuck Jaffe he talks to all those people. So we're going to talk to him about what's important and what's not. We're also going to talk about LegalZoom OG because we have to thank them for supporting Stacky Benjamins with the business legal plan. You ever think that we should get the business legal plan from LegalZoom?
2: Sometimes I do.
0: Yeah. I think about that regularly. You'll get advice for your business from independent attorneys and tax pros without being billed by the hour. Since LegalZoom's not a law firm, check it out today at LegalZoom.com. And for special savings, enter SB at checkout, LegalZoom.com. And support for Stacky Benjamins comes from TurboTax Live. I like saying it that way. TurboTax Live. I'm sure that's the way they they want it read. New from TurboTax, now you can get a personal review of your tax return with a CPA or an EA right on your screen. Talk live with a tax expert as often as you need for tax advice to help you file with confidence. Go to turbotaxlife.com/slash SB. I wonder if <laughs> I gotta wonder some of the calls those people get.
2: Is my cat a deduction dependent? My neighbor I provi- gets an- I provide more than 50% of its support. <laughs>
0: I think I should be able to write that off. What do you mean I can't write that off? What are you saying that that's not the way it works?
2: I take the child tax credit for my neighbor. He's always at my house eating my Doritos.
0: So I should, I should. Doug. Yes, we should get a deduction for Doug. I totally agree. Uh, we got great headlines today, so let's get into them, huh?
3: Hello, darlings, and now it's time for your favorite part of the show: our stacking Benjamin's headlines.
0: Our first deadline comes to us from Investment News. Big news out of J.P. Morgan, OG. J.P. Morgan's $8 billion loss to a widow faces massive reduction. Did you see this? eight million, I didn't. $8 so billion. far, so good. J.P. Morgan Chase & Company will probably face a judgment of no more than $90 million. In a lawsuit ah. claiming mismanagement of an estate. Rounding error. The, uh,
2: oh, I did see this. This this is an old story, but it's finally coming to resolution.
0: Well, yeah, because the big story was the $8 billion initial uh, jury verdict mm-hmm. that they had. In right. September, a Dallas jury awarded excessive punitive and duplicate actual damages. I'm fairly certain we covered this here, too. Yeah, yep. The widow and children of Max Hopper, a former American Airlines executive, said in court filings, Lawyers for Stephen Hopper and Laura Wasmer asked a Dallas probate court to limit punitive damages to them and their father's estate to about 70 million. So the lawyer said it's okay, you can make it 70 million. I think it's because they knew they weren't going to get 8 billion, right?
2: Well, like why do you put your second salvo at 70 million? Why don't you say, you know we'll be happy with one?
0: Don't know. Mr. Hopper and Miss Wasman also asked for 3.9 million for losses and attorney fees. The widow, Joe Hopper, asked the court to lower her award to $14,004 million, according to a filing from her lawyers disclosed Friday. I don't know the strategy there. I wish I knew more about why the people getting the money are saying, no, make that number smaller. Yeah. No, I, hmm. The final war could go even lower. JP Morgan's seeking to reverse the entire judgment. That part's not interesting to me. The part that's interesting is yet to come, which is why they were awarded this money in the first place. And that's today's lesson. The dispute over this state began with the death of Max Hopper in 2010. Mr. Hopper, who pioneered a reservation system for the airline, died unexpectedly with assets of more than $19 million, but without a will, family lawyers said. J.P. Morgan was hired to administer the state. So now we have $19 million estate J.P. Morgan brought in to administer it. How does J.P. Morgan make money on this deal? And the bank should have divided the assets and released them to Joe Hopper and her stepchildren, according to the lawsuit. Instead, her lawyer said in a statement, quote, the bank took years to release basic interest in art, home furnishings, jewelry, and notably Mr. Hopper's collection of 6,700 golf putters and 900 bottles of wine. Some of the interest in the assets were not released for more than five years. It took them five years to value golf putters And wine,
2: but I wonder why. Why would it take so long?
0: Hmm. Might there be a yearly fee to do that? Mm. Hmm. Mm. The plaintiffs allege that bank representatives failed to meet financial deadlines for assets under their control. Stock options were allowed to expire. That this is horrible. And Mrs. Hopper's wishes to sell stock were ignored. Stephen Hopper and Laura Wassman also claimed the bank cut them out of decisions and kept them uninformed in order to curry favor with their stepmother. Joe Hopper initially sued the bank, alleging breach of fiduciary duty. J.P. Morgan, this is funny, J.P. Morgan paid the legal fees to defend that lawsuit out of the estate account, depleting it by more of $3 million. So the widow sues, and they use estate money to handle the lawsuit. Hmm. Welcome to what happens. Yes. And when I was a financial advisor, I saw this. I know you see this all the time when you see people's estate. I don't know why attorneys do it. They say, Hey, you know what? These banks, they know how to handle it. So here's what you do. We put you in a bank in control, or we just put a bank in control and have them handle it. This is what the old corporate
2: trustee, huh?
0: This is what happens when you put the corporate trustee in charge.
2: Well, this is the downside of what could happen, right? Play a little devil's advocate, of course. <laughs> good, there's a good boy. There's there's <laughs> there's probably a lot of good people that do corporate trust work as well. But this is exactly right. You run into the bureaucracy of a trillion dollar organization, right? And and if you have a person who's listed as a trustee, or even if it's a team of people you know there's not necessarily that bureaucracy it's it's you know one or two or three individuals that you're dealing with
0: yeah and we don't know obviously we're reading from the documents we don't know what's true and what's not these are all this is all directly from investment news what i'm reading but in my experience corporate trustees it doesn't work out this poorly but i but i've seen it work out poorly so many times here's what and i don't know how you saw attorneys handle this so i'm curious because the way i saw attorneys handle it that i liked was you know, if you don't feel comfortable handling this, we can put a corporate trustee on here, like a JP Morgan Chase, but the family trustee has the right to replace. They're in charge and they have the right to say, "Nope, I'm firing you and I'm bringing in somebody else."
2: Yeah, ultimately, then then effectively what you're doing is you're talking about where the assets are held versus who's the trustee of the uh, of the trust. The, the liability, that's not the right word, the responsibility, I guess is the same for the person you pick, whether that person is a corporation, like in this case, JP Morgan, or if it's an individual like your, you know, brother in law, they still both have fiduciary liability or responsibility.
0: Yeah, and I'm not even talking about the assets. I'm just talking about their co-trustees. If somebody wants a co-trustee to be a corporate trustee, you have a family yeah, like trustee.
2: Somebody, somebody that's got to have fifty one percent.
0: Yes, you've a family so. trustee and the corporate trustee. And the court trust the, the corporate trustee, if they do their job right, I agree. I was a little incensed there. They know the system. They've done it before. They have the mechanisms to maybe make this go more smoothly if they keep going. But the family member has the 1% where they can boot the corporate trustee if it ends up being like this. Listen, if it takes five years, if it takes five years to value some golf clubs, that's probably four years and eight months too long.
2: Well, and there's some limited circumstances where an estate would stay open for an extended period of time, but but the reality is is that with something as simple, and it sounds like 19 million dollars. Oh my gosh, that's not very simple, but it really is. You know, he has a house. He's got some stuff in the house, wine, golf clubs. That's a little eccentric, right? But the rest of the stuff was all money. That's really easy. That's just today's value, <laughs> you know. And you're right. It doesn't take five years to find a. Uh, antiques dealer to come in and take a look at the collection and go, well, this is worth five grand or 50 grand.
0: Yeah, I don't, I d- don't understand. It'll it be interesting to see how this all plays out. Our second piece comes to us from the New York times and uh, written by David Gellis. This was sent to us by our friend, Sarah in Montana said, Hey, I'd like to get UNOG's uh, and OG's take on this good headline here. Going cashless, my journey into the future. I didn't mean to do it. It just sort of happened. What began with an empty wallet on New Year's Day has evolved into something akin to a lifestyle change. I've gone cashless. For the first three months of the year, I've hardly touched paper money or metal coins. There are no grimy bills folded alongside my driver's license, no quarters or pennies jangling in my pocket. Instead, I've relied almost exclusively on credit cards, Apple Pay, online orders, and the occasional generosity of an unsuspecting friend. By essentially renouncing physical currency, I've slipped a little further into the future. Already, some technologically advanced nations, South Korea, Sweden, have all but done away with cash. Yet, in the United States, I remain an outlier. In a study done last year by ING, the vast majority of respondents from the United States said they would never go completely cashless. I'm here to encourage my federal Americans to reconsider. My unintentional experiment began on January 1st as I awoke in a rumpled tuxedo... (laughs) A mild hangover and no money in my pocket. I've been there before.
2: <laughs> with at least three of those four things.
0: <laughs> right. The night before, I'd imbibed in various bars, handing out the 60 bucks or so in my wallet as tips to bartenders kind enough to work a holiday. As the first days of January passed, I never bothered to go to an ATM and withdraw a lot of cash. I didn't need to. Here in New York City, as well as just about everywhere these days, it's possible to pay for nearly everything with a card or a phone. I paid for my morning coffee using the Starbucks apps on my phone, picked up lunches with a credit card, and ordered in the occasional dinner using Seamless. One day I went to get some vegetarian tacos at Des Toros and happily discovered that the fast, casual chain was one of those restaurants that have stopped accepting cash altogether. Grocery shopping was similarly easy. Our kitchen restocked using a mix of Amazon.com, Fresh Direct, and trips to my local market where I paid with a credit card. And so it went. Before I knew it, February it arrived and my wallet was still empty i vividly remember the first time i heard someone describe a world without cash it was 2012 and i was at an event in london listening to ajay Benga, the chief executive at mastercard extol the virtues of digital currencies and the problems with paper money cash he argued enabled all sorts of bad behavior drug dealers illicit arms traders tax evaders and sex traffickers all rely on cash he said make cash obsolete and those nefarious activities get much more difficult Plus, cash is dirty—a vector for germs and disease—and the piece goes on. I'll link to it in our show notes. But let's uh, let's talk about cashless society—good or bad? O.G.
2: I think we're eventually moving in that direction, but uh, I gotta have some cash on hand. We have a little bit of money in the house—you know, nothing too crazy, but enough to run to the grocery store if. You know, what if the internet goes down at the at the grocery store or or the power goes out and uh, uh, that's happened, right? Remember the big blackout in the Northeast uh, eight,
0: 10 years ago or so, 15 years ago now, maybe? But I remember here in uh, Texarkana, we had a major power outage about a year ago and uh, went to the store. For some reason, the lights had come back on. Oh, they had a generator. Generator, in. sure. But, but the credit card thing and, and each one of the registers, they had the old fashioned swipers you know, where you put the card in the swiper and they swiped it and you signed it and they were going to reconcile all that later. So true. What about the credit cards now that don't have any numbers on them? Right.
2: Plus from a cash standpoint, I prefer to give cash tips. I like the $2 bills, you know, $5 bills. I play golf a little bit. So I've got a stack of $5 bills that I keep in my golf bag, Yeah, you know, just to give to the cart guys, you know, when they clean the clubs and that's really the
0: only time I go to an ATM is when I go to a conference and I have to leave a tip for the maid tips for the babysitters. How
2: do you, you know, I still haven't got quite to the point yet where I can say to the babysitter, Hey, uh, do you take PayPal?
0: No, but, but, but we would pay them in check. We would give them a check.
2: Okay. I probably have a checkbook laying around. That's gone long before cash is gone, I think, right? Oh, here
0: and it's funny. I moved to Little Town America and it's checks all the time. There's even stores here that will take checks but not credit cards. I'm like, really? So you trust my check more than a credit card? Like, wow, there's some protection there. Well, it's not the
2: trust. It's probably just the fees, right? Yeah. That's short sighted as you know. So I think eventually we get to uh, Apple Pay kind of changed that a little bit for me. Have you used Apple Pay yet? Not Uh, Apple Pay, like, you know, where you tap your credit card thing, but the actual where you give people money with Apple Pay.
0: Like the wallet. No, haven't done it. It's super
2: simple and super easy. I tend to think that something like that, where it's a little bit faster, PayPal seems to take a day or two, you know, some of these other things. This is kind of a byproduct, I think, of the cryptocurrency type thing, right, where you get that kind of instantaneous, seamless, you know, guaranteed transfer of money. Some of that technology moving over to banking where they can speed that up a little bit and not be, you know, hey, you made a deposit in your checkbook. You know, we can't let you use that for another, you know, two days while the check clears or some stupid thing like that.
0: I'm going to do the conspiracy thing for a second. And the first thing I think, which I don't think is is conspiracy, I think that when the head of MasterCard tells me that a cashless society is the way to go, I wonder, hmm, what's in it for him? Swipe fees. That's the first thing I think when I read this article. But very first thing. I always think, and when I watch CNBC, I think the same thing. Growth fund manager comes on the show. Guess what he's going to talk about? Great time for growth. Things looking good. Bond fund manager comes on, wonderful time to buy bonds, Market stock market looks shaky, should probably fl- have a flight to quality right now. I always look first at the source of the information. But then the second thing that I think about, would you take a look at banks holding my money, OG? And this is the case in Scandinavian countries. Negative interest rates in a cashless society wreak havoc on the individual.
2: Do you think that's the reason for the negative interest rates?
0: No, I think the negative, well, negative interest rates are trying to get people to spend money, right? Right. But banks love negative interest rates because now I don't have any place to park my money because there is no such thing as paper currency. My money has to be in a bank and the bank gets to charge me to hold my money if I don't spend it. Right. So negative interest rates spur people to spend money makes consumerism happen even more because, Hey, I got to do something with my money. And if I decide to save it, the bank's cleaning up even more on me. And that's just my natural distrust of a banking system that talking to people, smart people like Nick at magnify money and about how, you know, these credit card companies don't solve OG for the best consumer They solve for the consumer who's just on the edge. They're never going to default, but baby, they're going to get a lot of late fees, right?
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: The whole system's built on the back of people who can barely afford it. And uh, that's the frustrating part, I think, for me. When I hear cashless society, part of me goes, "Ah, I think there's always going to be a place for uh, Len Penzo and money down in the bunker. You got it. (laughs) Right. So I think the lessons are, number one, cashless. To some degree, yeah, but I like the check and balance that is cash. Although, I can't remember the last time I carried cash. And then number two is estate planning. Corporate trustees have a place, but you also need a check and balance there, too. But I think the bigger lesson, OG, is get your get your will done, right? I mean, didn't have a will in the first place in that story. Forgot to mention that one. But uh we're not talking about that right now because we've got a very special guest upstairs talking to Mom. Chuck Jaffe's written everywhere. He's also talked to the biggest names on Wall Street and with every mutual fund, from Jack Bogle to some of the best minds in the hedge fund business. Now, besides being one of the top freelance writers in America, he also has a great podcast called Money Life with Chuck Jaffe. So welcome the man himself here to the basement, Chuck Jaffe. Coming Down the stairs, Chuck Jaffe. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm glad that your basement doesn't smell musty. It did every you know what's funny is it depends on the day, but definitely today, mom's had the Febreze down here because, well, the party last weekend was let's say we just don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about you because you told me a story that I'd love for you to tell everyone because this will explain to people that don't know who the hell Chuck Jaffe is, it'll explain, I think, everything they need to know in your neighborhood. You did an experiment at Halloween that I thought was so flipping awesome. Can, can you tell everybody about the, uh, about the, I don't know, Chuck Jaffe economics experiment you ran in your neighborhood? Well, I've, I've done this
3: now for the last couple of years. It's truly trick or treat, or in this case, it's really, I, first it was cash or treat, then it became trick, treat, or trade, and that's what I did this year. So <laughs> the basics of it are pretty simple it's let's try to teach a little bit of an economic lesson and have some fun. So what I have done for the last couple of years is I have created a bunch of envelopes. Just go to your local staples, get their little coin envelopes to make this work. You want to sort of make every envelope feel the same. So when I started, it was a simple, you can have a choice. And this is for every kid, third grade and up. And so you were allowed to have three pieces of fun size candy, which I sort of figure the value is about 37 and a half cents, about 12 and 5 cents per. And you could get back an envelope that had anywhere from 25 cents to $5. In. Now to make things feel the same, I do a lot with $2 bills and dollar coins and whatever to try to make it. The kids will never know. And, you know, they're reaching above their head to grab an envelope. That they can't see. And then I changed it and not a big surprise, everyone took, almost everyone took the cash. Okay. So, not a big surprise, I changed it and I did trick, treat, or trade. And so, if you came to my house, you could get three pieces of fun size candy, or you could give those up to pick from an envelope that had anywhere from 25 cents to 250 50 in it. Or you could let me reach into your bag. <laughs> Pull out something that would not be a full-sized candy So the first year, as would be expected, you know, basically everybody took the cash because they could. And I had it was funny we ran out. We had I had done it for I think fifty kids or something along those lines. And the last couple of kids came up and were begging the kids in front of them to not take cash. (laughs) Uh, So
0: why, Chuck? Because they wanted the cash. Is that why? They wanted the cash. Okay, all right. They wanted the cash. Yeah,
3: there was that was please don't take it. And that way they could have gotten it because I was not making more envelopes. I'd already made more envelopes. By the way, I live in a neighborhood where every street ends in a cul-de-sac. So it's a very safe neighborhood and people sort of figure out that you should come here because you can kind of let your kids go. The result is that we get big crowds on Halloween. I mean, it's very it's fairly normal for me to see 100 kids on Halloween. Wow. So again, third grade and up and what I did this year was I made it trick treat or trade. So the basics were three pieces of candy. That was your take if you came to my door. Three fun size pieces of candy or you could give up the candy and pick from envelopes that had between 25 cents and 250 in them. Or you could let me reach into your bag and take one piece of fun size candy away from you, just randomly grab one in which case you could then pick an envelope where the minimum was 50 cents and the maximum was $5. Now I truly expected that most kids would take the option where they didn't have to give up candy. As my eight year old little neighbor said, there is no way, Mr. Jaffe, you are getting any (laughs) of my candy. But when push came to shove, I got her candy and she got an envelope from me. Almost everybody took the right option. Now, I'm not sure that they took it for the right reasons. The I won't give you candy option is the worst option, right? When right. you think about this, here's the exercise 37 and a half cents is your expected return if you come to my house, three pieces of candy. So if you take that, you're all good. If you trade it, but you don't give up your own candy, then you might wind up with only a quarter, in which case you lost money on your expected return. And although you could end up with about eight times your expected return. Maybe I made it $3 was the max. I can't remember, but the maximum you could get was eight times. Now, if you came to my house and you gave me a piece of candy, then your 12 and a half cents on top of the 37 and a half I was giving you meant your expected return was 50 cents. Right. That was also the least you could get in an envelope. So you were losing nothing and your maximum gain was five bucks. And so you could make 10 times your investment. So clearly there was a right choice here and virtually every kid took the right choice. But my favorite story of the night came from this group of girls who showed up and there were seven of them. The first six all wanted the money, but the seventh girl had just watched me take three pieces of her favorite candy out of the bags of the last Three kids. <laughs> she said, I'll take the candy. And she took the top of my bowl. My candy bowl had her exact favorites. <laughs> so she got exactly what she wanted and it was all her favorites. That's some insider trading going on. Well, she did ha- wait till she had maximum information. Yes. She was looking at my bowl <laughs> and knew that she could maximize her take. So there are the couple of other rules that we have I do not let them open it in front of me. I don't want to know what they got. And no one's ever come back to me and said, you know, hey, thanks for the five bucks. I want them to take it home and open it at their house with their parents. I want them to have the discussion with their folks. I think almost everyone has done that. I think in in the two years I've done it, I've found one envelope each year that was torn open and left on my property. So for the most part, they do the right thing. They put it in with their candy. They forget about it till they go home. And then it becomes their after Halloween
0: surprise. That's fantastic. And for people that don't know Chuck Jaffe, I think that is the, the that is the introduction to Chuck that everybody should have right there in a nutshell. I want to talk to you today, though, Chuck, about on your radio show and on your podcast, which I love, you talk to money managers. You talk about individual positions a lot. A lot of people listening to this show, maybe they're just starting to get their feet wet with individual positions, what should somebody know if they're moving from exchange traded fund world over to individual stock land? Well, I think the first thing you want to know is that it's a lot
3: easier to pick an individual stock than it is to pick a mutual fund or an ETF. I mean, it's pretty simple to go off and say, let me go off and get the story behind Coca-Cola or American Express or American Airlines or whatever it is and get that story and understand it to where you say, I want to own this business. And then you can go off and buy it. When you're putting your money into a mutual fund, you're sort of taking a leap of faith that, well, there's all this stuff and there's whatever their secret sauce is and how they construct it and what it's going to be and which index type is better or worse or whatever it might be. It's very easy to pick one stock. It's very difficult. It's much more difficult to pick a portfolio of stocks than it is to pick a mutual fund. So in other words, picking one stock's easy. Building a portfolio is where it gets difficult. And stock investing is all your eggs in one basket investing. It is, you know, I'm betting on this management company or this industry or what have you. But it's not prohibitively expensive. It's not difficult. And it is the kind of thing where I think you can take baby steps into it And there's now a lot of services that help you do that. The traditional brokerage firms will help you do that. And the more you learn, the better you become at it. And it also, in many respects, is a lot easier to stay put and stay disciplined. Mm. When you hear stories that the market is going crazy, I think for a lot of people, they look and they say how much money they lost, even though it's a paper loss, and they think, maybe I have to do something here. Whereas with a stock, if you truly believe in the long-term value and proposition of a certain company, you kind of know that it's going to move day to day and and you don't care that much because long-term nothing has changed. So it's easier to stay put.
0: So the emotional investment works in your favor then.
3: Yeah, I think it does. I mean, you don't want to be too much in the all eggs in one basket side of things. If you go back to the story of Enron, the real problem for Enron or Lehman Brothers, I mean, I, I knew a guy who was a vice president at Lehman Brothers, and he loved the company. He'd worked there his whole life, and most of his retirement plan oh. was in Lehman Brothers stock. Oh, no. Well, that worked great until it didn't, yeah. and the day it didn't, it was all gone, and you know, that's uh, where you say, I don't want all eggs in one basket investing. So you want to build a portfolio, but you want to understand that building a portfolio in time means you're going to own 10 or 15 or 20 stocks and whatever you own you have you do have the benefit of concentration. Like go ahead and make mutual funds and ETFs the core of your investment vehicles because that way you've got market participation. And then invest in individual stocks where you have real conviction, where you truly believe this is something that I can invest in and hold for a long time. Warren Buffett has said, but I've had other people who've said something very similar on my show that If you wouldn't hold a stock for 10 years, you shouldn't hold it for 10 minutes. (laughs) And that's a pretty good way to think about it. Like when you're looking at a business, evaluate, would I want to own this for the next decade? And if you would, well, then you don't care what's happening with the market. You only care whether or not something has changed that makes you go, "Uh uh-oh, now I hate this
0: company. I I wouldn't own this company anymore. Well, so then that means what you're referring to, I think then is that some of the numbers maybe have changed. If I'm a beginning stock investor, now I have to start diving into, you know, quarterly results. I have to dive into the, or maybe I don't Chuck, what numbers are important when I'm looking at an individual stock that a newbie might not know about? Well,
3: I think there's a few things that are important. One, and this really depends on you as an investor, but for new investors out there, I encourage them to think of dividends a little bit differently. Let's say that you go off and you are looking at a company and you say, I want a little bit of growth potential, but I want a steady dividend. And you go out and I haven't looked at the yield on Microsoft recently, a stock that I do own in my portfolio. But let's say that for the sake of argument, the current yield is 3%. And you say, "Okay, I like the growth potential for the company. and I like a 3% yield. If the stock goes up, but the dividend remains the same, you'd be looking at that yield down the line and going, I'm not getting as much in yield. But the truth is you are. If you put in $10,000 to that stock or $1,000 to that stock, you're still getting the return on your investment. The Mm. fact that your investment has grown because the price is appreciated shouldn't change the fact that you bought it to have a 3% yield and the money that you put in is still getting a 3% yield. Because a lot of people, they say, I want a dividend. It's something that makes me feel comfortable. And then they go off and they say, wait, the dividend has shrunk. The dividend shrunk because the price went up. Right. (laughs) But if you haven't invested more, the return on your investment is the same as it was when you got in. So that little bit of standing still and, and, not overreacting to changes in numbers is good. Other numbers that you want to look at, you know, it depends on the individual investor, what they're going to decide that they want to put faith in and whether or not they want to be looking at all the numbers or maybe trusting a service like a Morningstar, Mm. which evaluates securities on a valuation basis. What I will tell you is again, if you're saying, I want to buy something that's cheap, which we all like, right? We go to the grocery store, we look for something that's on sale. Well, that happens in the stock market too. When volatility came back into the market, the market took some steps back. It took a couple things that were good companies with it. And you might've been able to buy some things at a bit of a sale. Well, again, if you buy them on sale today and you're saying, I want to use Morningstar and Morningstar says, Hey, that's a four or a five star stock. In other words, they considered it undervalued. You may want to hold it. Even when they're saying it's a little overvalued. Why? Because you bought a good company Cheap to hold for the long term, so it's really about layering your interests and your feelings on top of what you're learning about companies in the market. And one of the things that we do on my show is that we're always talking to different people. and And I should point out that we recently had an interview, and we say this can happen any day, but literally this happened within the last couple of weeks, where I had Rich Maroney from Dow Theory Forecast. He said that he didn't really like Home Depot anymore but he liked Lowe's. And so in that space, he would be selling home Depot and buying Lowe's. And the very next day I had a guy named Andy Swan on from a site called like folio. And they use social media to help evaluate securities. And what did he say? He said, I really dislike Lowe's. I'd be buying home Depot. (laughs) So two guys, two different methodologies (laughs) <laughs> each one could make a case for the hardware store of their choice. And each one was willing to pairs trade. They literally would have made the round trips with each other. <laughs> and they could just hand off the position to the you other know, guy. Disagreement makes a market. And if you're going to be investing, you are in the middle of that
0: disagreement. So you better understand what side you're on and what's important to you. You even said this, but I kind of infer it from the way that you answered my question is don't get so hung up on the little things. Get out there and get started. Yeah. I cannot tell you
3: where the market is going to be in 10 years if you ask me for a level, but I would be willing to wager that I can answer generally. And the general answer is the market will be up. That's what you need. Then the question is, will it be up in ways that you can live with and can you ride it out? But, you know, one of the things and I, I wrote a piece about this recently because I'm a columnist as well, There are plenty of people who now believe that financial advice is simply tracking your investments. Tracking your investments is not advice. And the more you track them, the more you sometimes feel you have to do something with them. And for most people, that's a problem.
0: I was going to ask you about, uh, you know, you look at trading fees going down, which I think generally, fees go down is better for the investor. But still, if you get a site like, I mean, and I'll say it, you don't have to, a site like Robinhood, where trades are free, does that encourage investors to do the wrong thing when you're sitting here telling me, Chuck, that, you know, you should hold on to your stock for, for 10 years and there's no barrier now to trade?
3: Well... Does it encourage you to do the wrong thing? It makes it easy for you to do the wrong thing. Does it encourage it? That depends on your mindset. I mean, I'll I'll always take the Jack Bogle argument. Now, it's very difficult to disagree with Jack Bogle, the founder of the <laughs> Vanguard Group, the largest financial services company on earth, the father of the index fund. Very difficult to disagree with Jack Bogle on anything. But when it came to ETFs, Jack Bogle has always hated ETFs because they are built to be a trading vehicle. I have plenty of people say, hey, I don't buy mutual funds. I buy ETFs. ETFs are mutual funds. They're both vehicles, just they, one's a little faster, one's a little sportier, one's a little more utilitarian. Well, Jack's belief was if you put an index fund into a trading vehicle, at some point, somebody's going to trade it. Yeah, right. You make it easier to trade, you make it minute by minute so you don't have some of the the delays that you have with a traditional mutual fund, and people will trade it. Yeah, And once they trade it, they will lose a lot of the benefit they get from index investing. Do I believe that that's the bulk of ETF trading? No, I do not. The bulk of ETF trading is traders playing traders' games, doing what traders do. And I don't want, as an individual investor, to be doing that. I want to be the long-term index investor, akin to what Bogle says. But do I believe that there are times when the market gets hairy, And somebody who can trade easily goes, that's it. I got to get out of here. Yes. And so I wouldn't say that free is making you, you know, free trades are making you do the wrong thing. I think you need to understand if you're not a trader and you're not acting like a trader that you can use those sites and not be trading regularly. And I think that's the side that you have to protect yourself from because the tool itself is good but it's sort of like a nail gun. There's a reason why the few times I need to put up a nail, like to hang a picture or something, I use a hammer. It's not that a nail gun is not better than a hammer. It's that I'm never going to hammer a nail into my foot or my (laughs) thumb.
0: But if you give me a nail gun, I might blow myself away. (laughs) I think that is the perfect analogy to leave this discussion on. Uh, Chuck, tell us a little bit about your show, about Money Life, because I love listening to your show, and uh, you always have something crazy going on. Well, the original Money Life was a radio show,
3: and today we do a little bit of radio show and podcast distribution, and it is sort of everything personal finance, but I'm not really the expert. My guests are the expert. I'm the host, and we go as we say every day, a wide range of approaches and opinions on investing. So we will have, you know, we have guys like Harry Dent on the show and, you know, you're in your basement. I'm in mine. What I always say when I talk to a guy like Harry Dent and for folks who don't know him, he's one of the biggest bears out there. Absolutely. Believes the Dow's going back to 5,000. Right. When I talk to Harry Dent, I always say that I'm really glad I record in my basement because after <laughs> I talk to him, when I want to jump out the window, I can't hurt myself. And, 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 You know, so we have from that opinion to dedicated market bulls. We talk a little bit of technical analysis. We talk stocks and mutual funds and ETFs and very different approaches all the time. And we talk with some of the best and brightest minds in the investing world. We talk with people who you would know, guys like Jack Bogle, you know, and some of the best fund managers in the world. And we talk with people that you don't know, but maybe you should money managers like Laura Garretts who started Roger global advisors, one of the most interesting fund companies out there right now. So you just talk to, you know, uh, we have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. You just talked and to Stephen. You can and... find us at or I think on pretty much all of the, the places where you can find stacking Benjamins.
0: <laughs> although your podcast is much bigger than mine. Jeff. <laughs> I don't know about that, man. I mean, you just talked to one of my favorite fund managers, Steven Yakman, too. Out there talking to everybody. well,
3: we did. And of course, I've known Steven and I've known his father, Don, for many, many years. And the first thing that happened about this particular conversation that was different was it's the first time I talked to him as a shareholder in his fund, because my father was a shareholder in his fund for many, many years. And my father has passed and and- my mother died in May and so we've been distributing parts of the portfolio and I inherited it and I had to make the decision whether I going to keep it or not and i I did but the one thing that that forced me to uh, do was to disclose that I own it so yeah yeah we um, we talk with good fund managers almost every day and I mean sometimes we talk to bad fund managers <laughs> and that's okay too you need I one of my favorite fund managers just came back on the show for the first time in years His name is Bob Auer. I would never own his fund. It's the Our Growth Fund, A-U-E-R-X. I would never own it. Even he says it's a bit hairy. Now, years ago, I had Bob on the show. And at the time, he was a one-star fund manager. And when we have one-star guys on, we have to explain. We're doing it because we want you to understand their approach, not because we're endorsing anybody. And he's got a very interesting approach. And when Bob came onto the show at that point, he said, you know, Chuck, honestly, I'm a little surprised Morningstar's even given us one star at this point. (laughs) And so very honest and very
1: straightforward.
3: And what he said at that time a couple of years ago was, look, we believe the methodology works. We believe it needs the right market conditions. Those will happen again. Well, in the last year, Bob Hour's fund is number one in its category. Still has a terrible long-term track record. No, I would not want to own it. But his methodology, pretty interesting because, oh, by the way, he's been killing it at a time when everybody else has been calming down a little.
0: And that's the thing I like is you see how some of the sausage is made. And by the way, if you're on your way to work, on your way home, or you're out walking the dog or on your morning run, whatever, I'll have a link to Chuck's show Money Life on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Chuck Jaffe, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes, man.
1: I appreciate it. Anytime, Joe. Always a pleasure. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it's a fan. Day because I just got another notice from the water company, but this one said final notice. God, I'm so glad about that because I've had enough of their notices. So good for them for stopping. They finally realized the error of their ways. Let's celebrate with some water-related trivia, shall we? What device uses the most water in the average house? I'll be back with the answer in just a moment.
0: Support for Stacking Benjamins comes from TurboTax Live, new from TurboTax. Now get this, you can get a personal review of your tax return with a CPA or an EA right on your screen. How cool is that? Quickly connect to a tax expert via one-way video as often as you need for answers and advice on your taxes as you're completing them you can even have an expert review your return before you hit that file button make any necessary changes and it's all backed with a 100% accuracy guarantee file with complete confidence connect with the TurboTax live expert today at turbotaxlive.com/sb you know this already attorneys are expensive That's why smart business owners turn to LegalZoom. Over two million Americans have used LegalZoom to start their businesses with LLCs and corporation and more, but LegalZoom can still help after your business is set up with their business legal plan. With it, you get legal advice from independent attorneys and tax professionals without being charged by the hour because LegalZoom's not a law firm. Check out the business legal plan at LegalZoom.com now and get special savings when you enter SB at checkout, LegalZoom.com.
1: Trivia fans, let's all celebrate my final Water Company notice with some water-themed trivia, shall we? Here's today's question. What device uses the most water in the average house? If you said the toilet, you could flush yourself a celebratory swirly. Because you just got to taste answer right. Toilets are just funny. No matter what you think, they just make you laugh. (laughs) Anyway, okay. Maybe you someday too can get your final notice from the water company, and then I promise you're gonna feel as great as I do right now. See ya. Well, you were right next door.
2: Well, they obviously don't take the water tally into my house into consideration. Because
0: you had the Uh, shower.
2: Well, I have two boys, and I can tell you the one thing they don't do is flush. So when I walk into the bathroom, I'm like, come on, guys, seriously. So maybe they're conservationists at heart. But then you see them take a shower, and they're in the shower for 45 minutes. So For no reason. It's like a steam bath. (laughs) I don't (laughs) know what they're doing.
0: At my house, the first couple times, because my kids went through that phase two, where they wouldn't flush the toilet, they just get up and go. At first, I was doing, I did what you did, OG. I said, hey, come on, get back here. And then later on, later, later on, I just come out. I just come out to the living room or wherever they're hanging out. And I go, hey, man, high five. Good work. They go, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, seriously, hi. That's fantastic. <laughs> like, wh- wh- what do you mean? They'd high five. Me. I'm like, well, clearly you wanted everybody to see it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> your goal there you must be proud of it because you never flush that
2: was amazing
0: so so good for you and you know what when i i, I don't know why but in our house when i got sarcastic about it they started flush- poop shamed him <laughs> I, did.
2: I did you poop shamed him
0: yeah nice hey let's throw out the haven lifeline og and tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions our friends over at haven life insurance agency they're disrupting the life insurance industry kind of like those dudes outside the basement are disrupting. If people are here and hammering and stuff, we can't uh there it There's is right there. Construction. Mom's got a little construction going on outside the house. There we go. They're disrupting life insurance industry just like that by focusing on what you value most.
2: Wills and uh and $19 million settlements.
0: They're going to say wills and mom's new deck.
2: Yes. <laughs> It's going to be a hot tub on
0: that <laughs> thing, right? I Man, I hope so. It's either that or your family and your time. And I love that Haven Life focuses on those two things. That's why they created a simple way for you and I to buy affordable and dependable term life insurance online. If you head to StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now... They'll tell you what they're going to do. They're going to give you a free estimate for coverage, and you'll get to learn about life insurance the modern way. You'll see it in action, OG. Oh, it's very cool. Let's uh, say hello throw out the Haven Lifeline here to our new friend, Melissa. Say hi, Melissa. Hey, Joan OG. I have a question regarding diversification within retirement accounts. My husband and I each have a Roth and a 401k or its equivalent. I know you don't have enough information about me to give me specific advice, However, can you give me general guidance about how to structure the funds within these accounts or things to think about? Right now, our Roths both hold index funds that track the S&P. Our 401ks mostly mirror each other and hold a mix of small cap, large cap, and international funds. We're in our 30s and don't have definite retirement plans other than to save aggressively now and hopefully retire around age 60. I'd give you excessive details about our lives, but it probably wouldn't help Plus, I'm heading to meet Doug for trivia night at the Sizzler. See ya.
2: I like the end there. That's good.
0: <laughs> Melissa drops the mic at the end. Bam! Her husband's yep. stay in the background. What just happened? She's like, "That just happened." Uh, let's talk about this. General advice on how to diversify an account. I have a, uh, I've, I've actually got uh, quite a few ideas here.
2: Well, when it comes to workplace plans versus outside plans, the first thing that you want to do is take a look at the list of available options in your workplace plan. You may find that there's only one or two good options in all of your workplace plans, so that really narrows down your choice there. So let's say, for example, that um, within your workplace plan, your 401k, you've got the uh, Vanguard plan total market index, which is you know kind of like a Wilshire 5000 type deal, or maybe you've got the Vanguard 500 and then a whole bunch of other crappy funds that were put together by uh, an insurance salesman. Okay, So obviously you look through that and you say, okay, all these suck, high costs or whatever, you know, bad performance, but I've got this one Vanguard S&P 500 fund. I would take as much as you can from an asset allocation standpoint then and say, well, all of my large cap is going to be within my 401k because it's inefficient to use any of these other products because they have offered poor performance or high costs or both. So my 401k may look only large cap U S in your outside plans, like a Roth or a brokerage account, you have much more flexibility depending on where the money is held, of course. But if it's in a regular brokerage account, you can buy anything you want so you can be much more diversified. So that's the first place I would start between you and your husband's plans. And then the second thing is I, I would pay a little bit attention to the tax qualifications of that plan versus the investments that are held in the plan. For example, if you've got a Roth IRA, you know that that money is never going to be taxed again for as long as you live. So maybe you want to have your most aggressive portion of your portfolio held in the Roth because it has the highest depreciation potential. So that's kind of big picture, I guess. As far as like how much do I put in small companies versus big companies versus international, there's a million and one calculators online to find the efficient frontier that you can kind of play with and, and tons of tools. Uh, every brokerage company has a, a calculator that will help you figure out the quote unquote correct allocation based on your risk tolerance and timeframes. But that's more of a tactical thing, I think, uh what I would start with.
0: I love all that. And you stole my thunder on some of that. So I'll just add this. Yes! When I would, (laughs) this mission here is accomplished. Generally, I like analogies about setting up portfolios. And the analogy that I like to use, Melissa, is one of a ship. And I think that for most portfolios, you have to decide for yourself what the hull of your ship is that's going to kind of guide you through the water, right? The big heavy piece that you're going to kind of go where that goes. And for me, and for most people I work with, it's probably most people listening to the show, it's large company stock, right? So what fund you choose inside of that asset class, study after study shows, that's not the key to your success. The key is having the right asset classes. Like I remember when I first became a financial planner, OG, somebody showed me they had this phenomenal Japanese market fund. And it was funny because Japan wasn't moving at all, but they had the best one, right? And there was no room in their portfolio for a secular fund that just focused on the Japanese market, just focused on the Nikkei. Like, why are we just focusing on the Nikkei? Oh, because, you know, a bunch of reasons. So having the best one of something you don't need doesn't matter. So I like thinking about the hull of my ship as a large company stock. Then we have the anchor on the ship and the anchor for, for OG will be some money in cash. For me, it'll be some money in bonds. And so the anchor Realize that the anchor isn't going to move your ship forward. It's going to be a drag on the ship, right? If you, if you got your anchor down, you're not going very far. It's going to be a drag. But when the weather gets pretty wild, the anchor holds you on the bottom and your ship doesn't go, doesn't go too far off course. The sail of your ship will be small and mid-sized companies. And then there's this cool thing that mariners will know far more than me. It's called a spinnaker sail. And the spinnaker is this little extra sail that you put out. And when the wind's really blowing, it makes your ship go a lot faster. The bad news is if your spinnaker's out and the wind is uh, not blowing, the spinnaker can really mess you up, right? But this will be that little sandbox portfolio of the cool stuff that you like or the hot stock that you like. That'll be your Spinnaker sale. And for me, I've talked about before, I do that a little bit. I own a few individual stocks. I like investing in a few things uh, that are just things that I find very interesting. So for, for me personally, I'll use something like the Buzz Index in my Spinnaker. I use a water ETF in my Spinnaker. Like I like those themes But that's going to be a little part, the sail's going to be the next bigger part, the halls the huge part, and then I'll have a little bit that's my anchor, right? So think about those proportionally for your ship, and I think you're moving in the right direction.
2: Well, you didn't steal any of my thunder, but uh, you made your own.
0: (laughs) Well, that's because you stole my thunder, so I had to come up with new thunder, right? So (laughs) I had to come up with new thunder. (laughs) What the hell is that That's our quote of the day. I had to come up with new thunder. I don't know about that. Thanks for the question, Melissa. We also get letters down here in the basement. Doug just brought down this letter from Matt. Matt says, I'm currently 10 months into a 48-month car lease on a 2018 Kia Soul. I've realized my significantly burdensome financial mistake, and I'm looking to get out of the lease. Also,
2: because you're driving a Kia now. You realize that mistake.
0: I realized I'm driving a Kia. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> to get the hell out of this thing. I'm considering a negative equity car loan to get into something a little bit more adult. I don't what know. you recommend?
0: Have you driven a Kia Soul? What do you think? No. I, I think you haven't because you're <laughs> laughing too hard. I got to tell you, I drove a Kia Soul when we went to Orlando. We rented a Kia Soul and it was a fun ride. I had a great time. Riding okay. my Kia Soul. Yes. So, uh I've read uh, I've read, but that doesn't that doesn't stop doesn't. me from making fun of somebody else. <laughs> exactly. Just because I've done it too doesn't anyway. Uh getting on my That's lease true. early at 12 months and purchase a certified pre-owned vehicle. Oh, s- this
2: is a lease even.
0: A 48-month lease? Yes. Assuming I have the cash to do what I previously stated, is it more financially wise to terminate my lease early or to use the extra cash on hand that would have paid for a certified pre-owned vehicle to contribute toward my diversified investment portfolio? Roth IRA, Roth 401k, mostly ETFs. I'm 26 years old, so I have many years before retirement. Matt, great question. Um, And we're kidding about the Kia Soul. Uh, (laughs) I am, uh, because I really liked it. But let's talk. What do you think?
2: I don't think there's a good way to get out of this because you're going to have to prepay to get out. You're going to pay some sort of penalty to get out of your lease. I guess this is the math, right? You have to figure out what the penalty is to get out of the lease. There'll be some sort of cost to you and then contrast that to the total amount of lease payments that you're going to make versus the buyout for the lease plus the payments, if any, on the pre-owned. If you're going to pay cash for the car, then uh, the question is, is the opportunity cost of investing in that money versus or investing that money versus having the lease payment, I think I'd probably tear the Band-Aid off. You find a mistake, don't make it compounding. You know, if you've identified that this is not the best financial decision for you, I would uh, tear the Band-Aid off and be done with it.
0: Yeah, that's that's my bias too. But like you said, I think doing that math first is important. And because we don't know the equation, right, that's going to be in this contract, in his lease contract... Get into your lease contract, do the math OG talked about first with a bias toward, if it's anywhere close, tear the bandaid off and go do what you should have done in the first place.
2: And then make sure that if you're going to pay cash for the car, you got to invest the difference, right? You know, you've, whatever your lease payment was, 300 bucks a month, that needs to go into your investment account. That's not cash flow
4: now.
0: Right. If, if by the way, if it's better to keep the, uh, if it's better to keep the lease, then make sure that that extra money you're talking about, Matt, obviously gets invested. I like automatic investment plans where you just hook it up automatically from your bank account into whatever your brokerage firm is and uh, make that happen.
2: If you're going to keep the lease, I wouldn't take the lump sum and put it in your Roth because you're going to need a new car in three years. Yeah, good point. So you already know that you're going to need the money here in a, few,
0: make it your, in
2: a few years.
0: Make it your do it right the next time fund.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Thanks for the question. If you've got a question for the show, head to stackybenjamins.com, and at the top of the page you'll see questions for the show. Click that link, and those are all the ways to get a hold of us. And of course, we're still looking for Haven Lifeline calls. We uh, we're back up to about um, week and a half uh, before we can answer which isn't it. Very many. No, but much quicker. We'll start. Is Matt's uh, Matt's question was from early February, which means that uh, coming up on Wednesday. Short interview with uh, Beth Kobliner, best-selling author, Beth Kobliner. She made a video for Financial Literacy Month with Kate McKinnon from SNL. And we're going to talk to Beth about how the heck did you get Kate McKinnon on your financial literacy video? uh, Because it's pretty cool. Uh, So we'll talk about the making of that video, play a little bit of the video, and talk a little bit about financial literacy. And then uh, we're going to take more questions this time to try to get caught up on the mailbag part. But... If you want to call into the Haven lifeline much, much shorter and you get the greatest money show on earth t-shirt that goes with it. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today. Thanks everybody. Before we leave, if you're looking for good financial help in your corner or G's taking clients, stackybedjamins.com forward slash letter O letter G for more on that on how to get on his schedule. All right, uh, Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned?
1: So what else did we learn today besides the toilet can give your wallet a heck of a swirly? Well, first, take some advice from Chuck Jaffe. Focus on indexing over individual stocks and buy for the long term. You're much more likely to win with that approach. Also, don't stop at Chuck's house at Halloween unless you want an econ quiz. Eh, that's a different story. Anyway, second, haven't done your will yet? Having that finished can save you dollars and headaches maybe not billions of dollars, but your family will still thank you. But the big lesson? Don't answer the phone when the water department calls. Apparently their final notice didn't apply to harassing phone calls. When do I get rid of the final one of those? Geez, a man has to have silky flowing hair, am I right? I'm right. Special thanks to Chuck Jaffe for stopping by. You'll find Chuck's show, Money Life with Chuck Jaffe, wherever you listen to podcasts. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rudder-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast, or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just noticed it's just as dark and damp down here as Joe's soul. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Thanks to Joe's mom for clarifying what a final notice means. Uh... So, side note, totally unrelated, would anybody happen to have $324.62 I can borrow, uh, asking for a friend?
0: So our friend Mark from Chicago said we should have a name for people. Well, but you know, before I get into that, because she'll probably have an opinion about this, my co-contributor at the Money Tree Podcast, let's welcome her to the after show. We're booting OG to the curb today. It's Miranda Marquit. Miranda. Hey. (laughs) How are you? I'm okay. What's up? And so for the few people that don't listen to the Money Tree Podcast, you also do adulting.tv with our friend Harlan Landis yes correct
4: yes <laughs> Correct. adulting. TV yes yes correct.
0: and w- what do you crazy kids do over there
4: yeah so we talk about being an adult <laughs> um, all of the things that go with adulting those things that we hate to do that force you to be responsible for your life and take care of it can I say on this show <laughs> well well you can and we beep it out so oh fantastic so <laughs> all of all of those things that uh, yeah, it's all about handling your shit that's what we talk about, whether it's relationships, money, career, health, it's all about handling your.
0: Do you shit. talk about living in your mom's basement?
4: We do. We have had some episodes about living in your mom's basement. Come on, Joe, it's time for you to start handling your. You're not all for it. You're not for, it. well, you know, it, it can be a stepping stone to greater things, but eventually, man, eventually you got to, you got to take the plunge, move uh. out of the parents' basement and handle your. And I
0: liked you so much and I don't anymore, but whatever, but, <laughs> whatever. uh,
4: and then, and then
0: planting money seeds. You also right there.
4: Yes. Yes. Planting money seeds. Uh, that's also kind of about handling your <laughs> <shit>. no, um, <laughs> no, that's actually about, uh, how to turn money into a tool to help you create the life you want. So now everybody
0: knows who you are. So Mark, have you heard of our after show where we don't talk about it?
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've heard of I think I've been on your after show before. Have you? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe not.
0: If you haven't, it's been too long because we've we've (laughs) been threatening to have you on the show forever. And I'm glad we finally got you here. But if you were, it was a long time ago. But anyway, Mark says we should call people that talk about the after show, after show snitches. Ooh, do
4: we get stitches?
0: No, but if you take the acronym after show snitches, we call them asses.
4: Okay. Okay.
0: (laughs) What do you think of that?
4: Well, I have been called an ass before, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but you (laughs) never snitch about after show stuff.
4: Yeah, well I try not
0: to though, I won't Alright, you're not here to I'll talk it, about I'll
4: keep it on the DL
0: <laughs> You're not here to be to talk about being an ass You're here to talk about this movie That you and I both saw By a little known director named Steven Spielberg Have you ever heard of that guy? Uh, no No, no, let's, let's, no. Let, let's, this, was,
4: this was an amazing debut performance
0: Yeah, let's listen to a clip from this uh, amazing new director Steven Spielberg My name's Wade Watts
2: My dad picked that name Because it sounded like a superhero's alter ego like Peter Parker or Bruce Banner. But he died when I was a kid, my mom too. And I ended up here. Sitting here in my tiny corner of nowhere, there's nowhere left to go. Nowhere. Except the Oasis. whole virtual
0: universe.
2: Take you on a trip the world and back. People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do. But they stay
1: because of all the things they can be.
2: Can you feel this?
1: Let me show you um, yeah. Aye, aye. It's
0: the only place that feels like I mean anything. So this movie follows a book, Ready Player One. Did you read the book, Miranda? I did, in
4: fact, read the book because I'm a sci-fi nerd. Did you like the book? I did like the book. I mean, I read it for the first time. I was probably in junior high, so it was in the 90s. So it was, you know, the decade following you know, where the book was actually written. But yeah, so I read it when I was in junior high and I read it again when I was in college and I should probably read it again now.
0: <laughs> well, let's talk about what the movie's about at least. And you can tell me the differences yeah. between the movies and the book. there are already. The movie's about this kid. And as he explains in that trailer that you just heard, there's nothing going on in his life. He lives in this stack of trailers, one on top of another. And the creator of this virtual world that as you heard that he absolutely loves dies. And there then is this big quest for a lot of people who want to take over the Oasis. And there's three hidden keys, and the person that finds all three keys ends up taking it over. And of course, as is the case in any good movie, there's a bad guy. There's a really, really bad, bad, bad guy. And uh, Mm -hmm. Wade here has to beat the bad guy to get the keys. So uh, does that distill it enough?
4: Sure. Yeah. I mean,
0: I assume we want this to be spoiler free or do we care? Uh, No, let's make it spoiler free, but I'm not sure how many spoilers there. I mean, from, from where I sat, Miranda, I mean, this movie follows very closely to any other movie you've seen like the key to this movie being good or bad is not about the plot. Like the plot is the plot that you've seen in five bajillion other movies. There's a bad guy. They got to overcome the bad guy. Do they overcome the bad guy? I don't know, but, but you probably know whether he does or (laughs) not. Right. Going (laughs) in. So.
4: And that's a good point. I mean, that's what makes this movie kind of fun. Right. Is that it's just kind of that That movie, it touches on some social issues. It touches on a few things that we see in our real world. It touches on the idea of what is real versus, you know, what is not real. And it talks about, you know, feeling, I think a lot of people relate to this idea of, you know, like you and I, we go to FinCon, we go to our financial blogger conference and people are mobbing us and we're, you know, people want to talk to us. I went to an event not too long ago. You know, people want to take selfies with us. (laughs) But when I walk around town here, nobody knows who I am and nobody cares. Yeah, And I think that that's kind of the thing with the Oasis. You have this idea where you can be a big deal sort of in this This place. And we all feel like we want to be a big deal somewhere. So I think the thing that makes us good is that it touches on these human themes that are, you know, make us feel who we are as humans and and very real issues that we're dealing with.
0: That's interesting because I hadn't thought about that. There is kind of this loneliness to his life when he's outside the oasis. I mean, he's, he's with his sister. Sister is a loser boyfriend who he describes one in many of a string of losers. And and he's really got nothing outside the oasis. He's got nothing.
4: Yeah, exactly. And so it's just something that we all like to escape in some ways. And when I was growing up, you know, I read books all the time, science fiction and fantasy. I mean, my whole life is escapism. And so this movie was just kind of a fun ride. It's visually very fun to watch. I just enjoyed it, even though it's really I enjoyed it for different reasons than I enjoyed the book because it's really not a lot like the book but I enjoyed it probably maybe even more than I liked the book. Hmm. And uh, and it was just it was just like I said. I I just keep repeating myself.
0: Why do you, um, well, well, let me ask you a few questions then. Well, actually before I ask you uh, those questions, I'll just say that I I completely agree. I thought it was just a fun ride. I thought the plot was very rote. It was the same plot. Yeah. I mean, it was it was just it was very Easily structured. I thought that, you know, the scenes all made sense. I didn't have trouble following it. It wasn't. You know, it wasn't rocket science following the movie. It was just a blast. And I'm wondering though, if part of the reason it was a blast for us is that based on our age or even if somebody's younger than well, well, you're much younger than I am, but still for somebody who has an affection for the 80s, you know, this movie's all about affection for the early days of video games. You've got all these cameos from all these different video game characters. Does that factor into your appreciation of the movie? Are there going to be people that get it and people that don't get it?
4: You know, I think that's definitely a factor because, and you know, I actually saw it twice because I saw it once with a friend and then went again with my son who wanted to see it. And the second time through, I mean, the first time through like the, the whole movie is just nothing but a massive Easter egg hunt. I mean, that's all it is. I mean, <laughs> and, and that's kind of fun. like you said, Stuff that I missed the first time around, like the picture of Goldie Wilson on the wall of this little hideout they're doing, and Goldie Wilson is the mayor, the the guy that that grows up to be mayor in Back to the Future. it's
0: So funny, and so, <laughs> Cheryl was. They were quoting lines from stuff that I didn't know that Cheryl knew. Cheryl's like, "Oh my god, that's from this and this from that," and then I'm quoting stuff that she doesn't know. Like everybody's kind of bringing yeah. their own experience to yeah, the movie.
4: It, it is, and if you look around. Um, You're like, oh my gosh, that's a Firefly class ship. And and then you're sitting here going, and so they don't even just stick in the 80s. And there was almost this cheer from a small group of people in the theater when Daito is like, I choose the form of Gundam. And everybody's like, oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) There wasn't any large cheering from large groups, but there were lots of like small cheers from small groups and a lot of. You know, people around going, like, you hear that a lot because it, it is, it's like one big Easter egg hunt. They're like, this whole movie is nothing but Easter eggs. And you, you're inundated by this fun nostalgia.
0: But I think even if you're not a video game nerd and you didn't, you don't know all the references. If you don't go in expecting too much, I think if you go in, like, I've heard some negative reviews. And when I read the negative reviews, I'm like, what did you expect this movie to be? That's my first feel. If you expect this movie to be anything more than a fun two hours, like you're in the wrong movie theater,
4: right? Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, I think there was a, a little more social commentary in the book than in the movie, uh, but definitely, yeah. I mean, you go to this and it's to have a good time, and and maybe I gotta t- have a few things to think about when you're done.
0: Yeah, and I, well, yeah, and some of that stuff, like frankly, lately, Steven Spielberg has not been my favorite director because I think he can be heavy-handed. I think that sometimes he beats me over the head, treat me like I'm stupid. And I definitely thought the end of this movie with some of those themes at the end, like the last three minutes, I thought were treating me like I was an idiot. I was like, really? We should, and and by the way, this isn't a spoiler. We shouldn't spend so much time with video games. We should spend some time together in real life. And I went, oh, (laughs) Steven, stop it. Like, we didn't need, (laughs) really? Did I really need that? Do I need the movie to... I don't know. And I also thought, like if I'm being hypercritical, I also thought, and I think this of a lot of Spielberg movies lately, he just need to edit a little more. Like the movie's two hours and 20 minutes long. I think I would have enjoyed it, maybe 2.30 even, but I think it's 2.20. If there were only a way for me to look that up. we. we but, yeah. but, but the point is, if the movie was 30 minutes shorter, I think I still would have liked it every bit as much.
4: Yeah, probably. I don't know. To me, it didn't seem very long at all. Like I just really enjoyed it so much that I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I had a couple cool. like I, I mean I did, like when the two hours and 20 minutes were over I was like that did not feel like two hours and 20 minutes I thought the
0: inevitable fight scene at the end where there has to be an inevitable fight scene so I don't think this is a spoiler either inevitable big fight scene with the forces of bad versus the force of the good. Longer than it needed to be drawn out more than Probably, it needed to be. Yeah, I was like, yes, oh, yeah. <laughs> come on. Okay. This is, this is pretty long. I thought that that's when I kind of went, okay, can we just uh, wrap it up? Cause I kind of know where this is going. Let's just get there. <laughs> yeah. And then the end after everything was resolved and now they're, they're giving me what it means. Like I thought that went long, you know, with the spot where I thought the movie should have yeah. ended and where it really ended. I thought, the, but to your point, these are all me like picking little things off it. I had a blast I thought it was right. so damn fun.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, I think there was probably a little more exposition than needed, but I mean, overall, I mean, it was, it was a fun movie. So yeah.
0: So big thumb up from you.
4: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely big
0: thumb up for me. Big thumb up for me too. Thanks for hanging out, Miranda.
4: Yeah. Thank you.
0: Hey, tell me, tell everybody one thing that's going on at Planting Money Seeds. So if people want to go check it out.
4: So I'm just kind of writing about I've had some interesting experiences lately where uh, like I'm a freelancer. Well, I, I mean, I work for a company, but I'm also a freelancer. And my three main clients, which were agency clients, have all decided to hire in-house writers and have given me the boot. And so that's like a pretty good chunk of income. I was like thinking about like, wow. oh, geez. So I will soon be writing about that and what to do when you use when you lose that sort of income and then also how you can get back on your feet. And then also looking at some of the things I'm going to try to do too. yeah, Like I was saying to you earlier, I think when we were on a different call, I was talking about how this is more like the universe kicking me in the butt and saying, you know, it's time for you to like, you know, you've been wanting to do this stuff for five years, but you haven't. Now time is no longer an excuse. <laughs> so, so we'll see. Um, and I think I'm going to write about that at planting money seeds and, and what you can do.
0: Well, I got bad news and good news. The good news is the bad news is that's slightly stressful. The good news is we're going to pay you 30% more than we pay everybody else who is on the after show with us.
4: Oh, that's so sweet. 30% of zero is Oh, look, at the,
0: look at the time. <laughs> got to go. Thanks, Miranda.
4: All right. Thank you.
0: Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric who is such a giving person, Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life, and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.